You may be seated. Father, we come before you right now and just thank you that you are a mighty God and that no matter what's going on in our lives, it is well with our soul. The world can be crumbling around, uh, crumbling down around us, and yet we know that we can be still and know that you are God, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our tribulation, because you are God. And so I just pray today, Lord, that there be a fresh anointing of your spirit upon each and every one of us, that whatever baggage that we've brought in here with us, that when we leave, that we will leave it at your feet and we will walk out of here light because we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So, Father, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, some of you know that um, we have been supporting Shoulder the Load, that uh, Brad and Lisa, our missionaries, are in Africa as we speak. I gave an update, I think, on them a week or two ago and thought I'd do that again today. They've got about one more week, week from this Wednesday, and they'll be coming home. But the biggest need that they had while they've been there has been water. It's been getting water to the village, and so that was a huge praise that they got a water tank to fill up, a t- uh, to fill up there. So yeah, give them a hand clap. That was awesome. And I think, um, you know, this is something that you and I, we take for granted. We go home, and we've got plenty of water, don't we? We turn that spigot on, it's almost like an unending supply of it. So, you know, Lisa was giving some notes to me about how humbling it is for them to fetch the water themselves, right? They can go into their air-conditioned car, get water that they've got, uh, and meanwhile, these people are struggling every day just for the basic necessities. So a uh, couple other things I wanted to note about what they're doing over there. They have been, shoulder the load, their foundation has been working on, one, getting them clean water, Two, they've been working on these outreach packets, um, putting together these care packages. You can see that in the lower right-hand corner of the screen. Um, just food, basic things. They're putting together some tracks as well to kind of highlight the gospel. They've got Bibles on order that are coming. Um, they've got 48 Bibles that are on order that will be arriving soon that they'll be handing out. And so it's been very encouraging uh, for them to be over there and to help these people who are in need. And um, you can see... Uh, some of the other pictures here with Lisa with the kids as they gather around her and uh, this has been a a real blessing for them to be able to pour into these kids lives and so uh, one last thing I wanted to mention is last time I talked to you they were working on the roof of one of their buildings this was the pastor's house and I showed a close-up last time you can see they're ripping the roof off to put a new roof on I thought I had one more yeah So here you can see the guys, they've torn the whole roof off the place. They're getting ready to put a new one on right there in that picture. But these are some very desperate conditions that they are uh, working in, obviously. So I ask that you continue to pray for them to have the impact for the kingdom of God that I know they're so desperately striving for. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for those that have supported them. Just wanted to give you an update. So we are continuing our study today of the Gospel of Mark. And last week we talked about how God is always making things new. He said in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. That new thing that he was talking about was the prophecy of sending his son to be our savior. That new thing is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, we become brand new. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
We are not a better version of ourselves. We are made completely new by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must always remember that no religious activity in and of itself is greater than a relationship with our risen Savior. Now, fasting was one such activity that we talked about last week that we specifically called out, but fasting is a spiritual discipline. It is not a prerequisite to holiness. Now, there are many things about fasting that are good, but like any religious activity, when we take it too far and we're too strict and we follow these rigid rules for compliance, we miss the greater truth of a relationship with Jesus. That was the big idea last week, that we had this religion versus relationship clash going on. And one aspect of religion that was prevalent in Jesus' day, and unfortunately is still prevalent today, is legalism. Legalism is very dangerous. It's when we try to follow man-made traditions or religious activities or rules in an attempt to achieve salvation or spiritual growth. Legalism emphasizes the external while neglecting the internal. But following Jesus is all about the internal. It's all about our hearts. And if the internal is right with God, then the external is going to follow. Everything flows from a heart relationship with God. When he transforms us through the regeneration of our heart, that is what it means to be born again. We know this from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, right? That God will take that stubborn, stony heart out, and he puts in a brand new heart in. We become a new creation. That's what it means to be born again. And then from that point forward, our hearts are then continually transformed as we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Sanctified. That's just meaning we're being set apart as holy. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus so that we look like him. Now, this doesn't happen by our own efforts. It is a supernatural thing by the Spirit of God. And Jesus gave two parables in our text last week to illustrate the same point. The gospel, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is the power of God that makes all things new. When Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect life of obedience. He brought a whole new way of expressing how we are to live and how we are to love for God. Salvation is not us patching up our old lives. It's a whole new robe of righteousness that only the blood of Jesus can bring us. God makes all things new. And the question I asked last week was, have you been made brand new? Now, the title for today's message is Pause, the Discipline of Rest. Pause, the Discipline of Rest. Who needs some rest today? <clears throat> now, if there's one thing that most of us don't do very well, it's probably this. We don't take enough time to rest. Many of us have schedules that cause us to run from one activity to the other whether it's work or we're shuttling kids around or we're taking care of this countless to-dos list that we've got, we seem to always be switched on without any way to just switch off for a while and recharge. We live in a culture that is interconnected with technology that allows us to communicate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Emails, text messages, phone calls, social media chats, all of these things are constantly pinging us for our attention. And then we multitask in an effort to get things done, more things done. And many of us simply feel like if we take time to rest, we won't be able to get everything done. 
The fear of getting behind, it drives us to do more, work longer, work harder, work faster. You see, the world is consumed with this endless cycle of busyness. If you're taking notes in your handout, you can write that down. Busyness. Think about this for just a minute. When was the last time that you unplugged yourself from all the noise and all the busyness in your life and just rested? Rested in your mind. Rested in your body with no distractions. For some of us, it's not often enough. And when we keep up this crazy pace of being too busy without pauses for rest, it will cause us to be stressed, worried, and even fearful. We have an enemy in Satan who loves to keep us busy. Because if we're too busy, then we'll be too exhausted or too distracted to do many of the things that truly matter in this life. And if Satan can't make us bad, then he's just going to make us busy. I've heard it said that the word busy stands for being under Satan's yoke. Who's heard that before? A couple of you, maybe? I know you have. (laughs) Being under Satan's yoke. So what is a yoke? If you look up on the screen, a yoke is what they used to use to put on cattle to keep them pulling in the same direction. It's a wooden device, fits over the cattle. It also helps distribute the load. So not one is carrying more weight than the other. That's what a yoke is. Now, Satan's yoke, the yoke that Satan places on us, is heavy. And when we're yoked to him or to the things of this world, we're going to be drug all over the place. We'll be drug all over the place, keeping busy, keeping distracted, and keeping us from our purpose. Now, let's contrast Satan's yoke to Jesus' yoke. It's just the opposite. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we're truly yoked to him, There is rest for our souls. Now, a couple of weeks ago in the message, Follow Me, I talked about what it means to follow Jesus. I talked all about the cost and that it will cost you everything. But yet here today, we're going to talk about one of the things that you gain. You gain rest for your souls. You can't get that anywhere else. You can only get that from Jesus. Now, You and I can be so good at trying to find rest in so many worldly substitutes, but the rest for our souls only comes from Jesus. And if there's one thing that I want us all to take away today is that Jesus is our rest. This is the main objective that the Holy Spirit wants to impart today is that he is that rest. You see, God created the heavens and the earth and every living thing within them in six days. What did he do on the seventh day? He rested. Let's look at this. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. It says, And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, why did God rest? You think it was because he was tired from all of his work? No, of course not. God is never tired. 
He is the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. He never grows tired, ever. In fact, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. So on the seventh day, he rested not because he was tired. He rested to provide an example for you and for me. That word rest in the Hebrew, it means to, st- to cease, to stop, to put an end to, to pause. Notice what God did in the very next verse there in verse 3. He blessed and then he sanctified the seventh day for rest. Sanctified, meaning he set that day apart from all the other days, specifically for rest, to be holy. So the principle here is that God intends for this day to be a blessing for rest and focus on him. And it should look different than any other day. So with that as our foundation, let's jump into our text for today. Please open your Bible to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 23. And we'll be looking at verses 23 through 28 today. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them here on the bookshelf. You're welcome to borrow. You can follow along on the screen. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is lawful on the Sabbath? What is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So here we go with the Pharisees looking to tear Jesus and his disciples down again. This time, they're quick to point out that Jesus and his disciples were not honoring the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is the day the Lord set apart to be holy as a day of rest from all the others. This is the day that the Lord's called out specifically in the Ten Commandments for the Jewish nation to honor. God said to his people that they were to keep the Sabbath as holy. Now, he never gave them much in the way of specific instructions on how to keep the Sabbath holy, except to say that the Sabbath was to be used for worship and rest. And so what happened is, in that gap, the traditions of men filled it by placing all kinds of rules and regulations on the people of Israel on how to keep the Sabbath. So instead of the Sabbath being a blessing, it became a tremendous burden. And in our text, the Pharisees considered Jesus' disciples when they were plucking heads of grain from the field, they considered that working on the Sabbath. They considered that breaking the law. It's because the Pharisees were so hyper-focused on the letter of the law that they missed the entire point of the Sabbath altogether. So Jesus first responds with what David and his men did when they were tired and hungry, simply to point out how ridiculous their accusation of him was. If David, as the Lord's anointed one, along with his men, could eat the sacred bread in the temple when they're in need, then how much more could the Son of God, the anointed one, and his disciples do the same thing with the grain in the field? That's the point he's making. And then Jesus drops the hammer. It comes down right here in verse 27. Here it is. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What he is saying here is that the Sabbath was intended to be a blessing for man. It was not to be a burden 
for man. God made the Sabbath so that we would have rest in him from all of the stuff we do in the world. Now, the Pharisees, they held very tightly to the Sabbath and all their little rules that they had around how to keep it. In fact, Jewish tradition said that there were 39 different acts that were specifically prohibited to do on the Sabbath. It was a crushing burden to bear, and rather than be a day of rest and freedom as God intended it, it was a day of religious bondage. So when Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, they were highly offended. They were really offended. This was like starting a war. That's how serious this was to them. And, and Jesus doesn't even stop here. He goes on in the very next verse, and he says, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. That's like saying, hey, by the way, guys, I am God. That's like what he's saying. Once again, he's making the declaration that he is the Lord, that he is God. So Jesus' response to the Pharisees' accusation of his disciples violating the Sabbath simply shows that God is much more concerned with the needs of men than he is with protecting religious tradition. The Sabbath was made for man. It was made to be enjoyed as a blessing for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not made so that man would be held in bondage by all the rules for keeping it. Listen to me. Human need is always a higher law than religious ritual. Human need is always a higher law than religious ritual. And there are some people, even today, that get all up in arms about the Sabbath. As if we are still under the old covenant. Or they get all up in arms about this debate over Saturday versus Sunday. The principle that God established with the Sabbath is that man needs to rest from his work. He needs to pause and be disciplined by finding rest in Jesus. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing to man for man to enjoy rest in Jesus. That is the principle that we need to apply to our lives. As far as these other details about the Sabbath, whether it's Saturday versus Sunday, or whether we're under the old covenant, we should do it, or we're in the new, none of that, none of that really matters. Listen, let's let the word of God speak for itself. Here we go. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding festival, or a new moon, or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one judge you concerning the Sabbath. It's one of many things that are simply a shadow of things to come. No, the focus, the substance, the reality, the main thing is Jesus. That's the main thing. It's all about him. So let no one judge you concerning the Sabbath. Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and verses 10 through 11 says this. Some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. That's so good, I'm going to read it again. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Okay, verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. 
So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. So it's not even important to get all twisted up in a debate over trying to keep the Sabbath or even what day the Sabbath should be on. Let no one judge you about it and do not judge someone else about it either. Again, what is the principle? God made the Sabbath for man to enjoy as a blessing for rest. It's a time to check out from our normal schedules of busyness and just rest in him. Six days he worked, one day he rested. That is the model that he provided us. It was meant for us to enjoy because God knows we need rest. We need to pause from our work. Now let's get practical and let's talk about how that we can do this. How we can pause and implement the discipline of rest in our lives. Now I'm not going to overwhelm you today and give you 12 steps on how to do this. I'm just going to give two very simple points on how to pause and how to be disciplined in getting rest. So if you're taking notes, write this first one down. Number one, be selective. Be selective. We have to be selective with our time. All of us have 1,440 minutes in a day and 160 hours in a week, period. We all have the same amount of time. What we choose to do with our time is what matters. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 16 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. You see, there's a battle going on for our time every day. But God wants us to make the best use of our time. He wants us to get the best value of our time as possible. And to do this, we have to be selective about what we choose to do with our time. You see, Jesus was our perfect example. He was both fully God and he was fully man, which meant that while he was living on this earth, he operated within the same time constraints that you and I have. So the real question is, how did he find time to do all that his father was calling him to do? He was selective about what he chose to do. But you see, it's always a choice. He made the best use of his time. And one lesson that we can take from him in being selective is that we need to be very careful about what we choose to say yes to. We absolutely cannot say yes that everything that screams at us is urgent. Sometimes we're going to have to say no. Some of us need some real practice on how to say no. So I want you to say it with me. No. Practice that. No. Now, if you want to graduate to the next level, no thank you. Right? We've got to learn to say no. We can't say yes to everything. In Mark chapter 1, we read all about the activity that Jesus was involved in. It kind of reads like a day in the life of Jesus in his ministry. First, he begins by teaching in a synagogue within the city of Capernaum. A man comes in who's possessed by an evil spirit. Jesus commands that spirit to leave, and he heals the man. Next, Jesus goes to the house of Peter and his brother Andrew, where his mother-in-law was there sick. And so Jesus heals his mother-in-law. After the sun went down for the day, Simon, Andrew, James, and John brought all who were sick and demon-possessed to Jesus. The word says in Mark chapter 1, verse 33, that the whole city gathered together at the door. And then Jesus began healing people of all kinds of diseases, and he cast out demons from those who were possessed by them. 
When I read this, I think about how exhausting of a day that must have been. He went through all of that, sun goes down, and now the whole city shows up at your door, and they all want healed, right? It reads as if it was just nonstop all day. But I love what happens the next morning. In Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38, we read this. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon, also known as Peter, and the others, they went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Jesus knew and understood the value of getting rest in the midst of all the activities that filled his day. He made it a priority to choose to spend time with his father so he could be refreshed. It was a priority. When his disciples wondered where he went, they went looking for him, and they said, hey, everyone is looking for you. Now, of course, Jesus knew that. He knew everyone was looking for him. To everyone that was looking for Jesus, it was urgent. They demanded to have his attention. But Jesus chose to be selective because he was more focused on what was more important, getting rest in the presence of his Father so he would be refreshed and be able to continue his mission, which he says in verse 38, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So do we stop and make time for rest with our Heavenly Father? This is the model that Jesus gave us. He never allowed the urgent to overshadow the important. Urgent tasks, those things scream at us, and they say, take care of me immediately. That's what those tasks are. While important tasks always contribute to the bigger picture in our lives. You see, Jesus knew the bigger picture. The bigger picture was all about accomplishing the will of his Father. So even in the midst of the the urgent screaming at his attention, he made time for what was important. He did that by getting away to be refreshed and be with his Father. You and I must do the same. We must be selective. Now, there will be times in our lives when things will be urgent and important. I'm not trying to say here, don't do the urgent. What I'm saying is, be selective so that you don't ignore the important. To say it another way, do first what matters most. God doesn't necessarily want us to do more. He just wants us to do more of what matters most. So let me ask you, what matters more than a relationship with him? What matters more than that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Make him the priority, and he will take care of everything you need. We don't have to run around killing ourselves trying to do anything and everything. We need to seek him first. That means we need to be selective about where we spend our time. We need to make the best use of our time. Jesus understood this. It's why you will find a pattern in his ministry in which he would often withdraw from everything and everyone so he could be alone with his father and be refreshed. So in Luke chapter 5, Luke records that Jesus often withdrew to deserted places to pray. That was his pattern. He did this repeatedly. So do you do this? Are you making the best use of your time? Are you making time to rest with him? To pause and be disciplined by getting rest, there are two things we must do. Number one, we must be selective. And number two, we must be still. 
we have got to be still. That means we need to have perspective and we need to have his peace. We don't always need to be in such a hurry. Was Jesus ever in a hurry? When you study his ministry, you'll find that Jesus was never in a hurry because he knew the value of being still. In Mark chapter 10, as Jesus was about to leave the town of Jericho to continue his mission, there was a huge crowd along with his disciples that was around him. And there was this blind beggar on the side of the road. And he called out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people in the crowd told that man to be quiet. But all that did was make the man cry out even louder. And then in verse 49, when Jesus was leaving the town of Jericho and he was on his way to continue his mission, the word says he stopped. He stopped and told the crowd, call the blind man to come, come here. And when the blind man came to him, he healed him. You see, there was an urgency to leave Jericho. That's why the crowd was telling that blind beggar, they were telling him to shut up is what they were saying. Because they were so focused on continuing the mission. We've got to do the mission. Got to do the mission. Got to get to the next town. But what did Jesus do? He stopped. Because he was more focused on what was important, right, than what seemed to be urgent. Jesus knew it was more important to stop and care for the blind man. So the question is, are we so busy that we don't stop? to be still and do the things that really matter for the Lord. If we don't take time to be still, we will miss the more important things that God wants us to do. Psalm 46 begins with, God is our refuge and our strength. When I see that word refuge, I think of our place of safety, our place of rest. Psalm 46 goes on to talk about no matter what kind of chaos happens in the world, whether natural disasters or wars or Whatever's going on in the world, the Lord of heaven's armies is our focus. He's our fortress. And when we come to verse 10, this is what it says. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. In other words, stop all your striving. Stop all your running around. Stop your constant working. Be still and know that I am God. There is nothing I can't handle. There is nothing I can't overcome. Come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. We often choose so many other things to find rest rather than him. We can try to sit down and watch a TV show or a movie, and while that's okay for a time, it is not a replacement for true rest. True rest is only found in the Lord. If we try to rest in the world, it's just going to make us weary. But if we be still and rest in the Lord, we will be refreshed. We have to slow down and be still. In Exodus chapter 14, God through Moses led the Israelites out from slavery in Egypt. And he led them to a place where they could go no further. Pharaoh and the Egyptians were quickly pursuing them from behind. And there were mountains on each side of them. And then to the front was the Red Sea. So they were trapped. They had no way out. And what did they do? They start to freak out in their minds. Their minds start racing with doubt and worry and fear. Listen, as children of God, we should never panic. We should always pray. We need to be still. Moses then says to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14 and verses 13 through 14, here's what he says. 
He says, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You shall hold your peace. I could preach a whole message on that one. You know what Moses is saying? He's saying, shut your mouth. That's what hold your peace is. Shut your mouth. Stop your complaining. Stop your whining. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's a lesson for you and I. We don't ever need to panic. We simply need to be still, look to the Lord, because he's our refuge. Only in him can we find true peace. Only in him can we find true rest. We need to stop trying to take matters into our own hands. And we need to stop being so busy. Be still and know that he is God. God provided a model for us. Six days of work, one day of rest. He did this to be a blessing, not a burden. Because the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Are you making time to rest? Are you taking time to rest in him? How much you love God is a direct reflection of the joy that you receive in focusing on him when you rest. The Sabbath is a gift of love from God to meet our needs. It's not meant to be a crushing burden to make us miserable or proud. It's meant to be a blessing for our soul. Especially in this crazy, busy world we live in. We need to take time to pause and be disciplined about getting rest. And we can do that by first being selective and second, being still. Being still in Jesus. Jesus said this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you need rest for your soul today? Take time to pause and be at rest in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you gave us the blueprint on how we're to live our lives. You did it from the very beginning of your word and the own, in, in the own work that you did yourself. And so, Lord, many of us are striving every day to get all these things done. Sometimes it feels like we're in a boat and it's just the waves are just crashing all around us. But you know what? The wind and the waves know your name, just like the song we sang today. God, you can make everything still. I want, we want your peace, Lord. And so I pray right now for those that may have burdens that are just feeling like it's crushing them, that they would lay those at your feet, Lord. They take your yoke upon themselves because we know your burden is light, Lord. It's not heavy. And yet we run around trying to make things happen on our own. Where is our trust? Where is our faith? So, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd lighten all of our loads today, that you'd lift off our shoulders those things, those, ba- those things that we've carried in here, the baggage that we've carried in here, whether it's worry, whether it's fear, whether it's doubt about something, whatever it is, Lord, take it from us. Help us to see that you are our rest. You are. It's not the TV. It's not entertainment. It's just being with you. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us the greatest example we could ever have in you. 
You, you gave us that day, Sabbath, to be set apart as holy for you. Help us to live that out, Lord. And be people who get refreshed and recharged because we make you a priority in our lives. And so I pray today, Father, if there's someone here that maybe their spirit was pricked by what they heard today. And they're curious. They want to know more about this gospel, this Jesus, who he is. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them to you in such a way that they'll have no, there'll be no, no way for them to resist. And that they can find that you are the true Lord and true Savior that they need. That there's forgiveness for every sin in him. Thank you, Lord, that your word reminds us that um, if we will confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your word also tells us, Father, that if we will just confess with our mouth that you are Lord and that believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, we will be saved. We can stand upon that promise. And so today, Lord, I pray for your salvation work right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you need prayer of any kind, or maybe there's burdens that you feel like you're just carrying around and you're feeling heavy. I talked to some people before service and I heard a common theme and the word was oppressed. There were people that felt oppressed. So if that's you and you want that weight lifted off, you want someone to pray over you, come forward. I'd love to pray for you. We should never walk around feeling oppressed because he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. God bless you. Have a great week.